How's everybody doing tonight? Somebody's flash is on. Well, hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to week four. How are you guys doing? You getting enough sleep? Going to class? Isn't it crazy how fast time goes by? It's like boom, 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 boom. We're already in week four. Well, hey, if you don't know me, my name is Brandon. Hi, buddy. And uh, I'm one of the directors here at uh, Chi Alpha. My wife got to teach last week. And uh, we've been serving you guys as your directors. Man, we're going into our third year. It's crazy. Speaking about time flying. This is actually my eighth year being a part of Chi Alpha. Pretty cool. Eighth year. Uh, something Taylor said last week or uh, two weeks ago. He said, if you stick in Chi Alpha, you'll likely develop some of your closest friends, whether in college or in life. And, and I'm honestly a testimony of that because once upon a time, I was just like you. I was a student at Central Washington University. I was a transfer student um, from Wacom Community College. Go Orcas. <laughs> Orca Pride, it took me three years to get my AA, come on, proud of that, not at all. Uh, anyways, I remember my parents dropping me off, and y'all, I knew literally nobody on campus, I knew nobody, and my parents dropped me off, it was a Monday, it was the first day before classes, and it was the like, you know, tears are flowing, and they're like, yo, see ya, and they left, I'm like, I kind of seem like happy to leave right now, <laughs> like my parents are like, gone, and I didn't know anybody, and I'm like, okay, like, Walking through the Cirque, like I literally don't know anybody. Everyone's got their friends, and I'm like, what in the world? I'm walking through the Cirque, and I literally come across an XA Christian Fellowship poster, and Taylor and Cassidy, uh, now Griffin, they were dating at the time, were hanging out behind our booth, and I was like, oh my gosh, a Christian community. Went up to them and said, hey, what's going on? They invited me to Tuesday. I started coming to Tuesday Chi Alpha. I got plugged into a core. Eight years later, I'm director. Uh, and guys, honestly, for me, it wasn't like I came to Tuesday and it was like the most prophetic, you know, incredible teaching I'd ever heard on a Tuesday night. Or I didn't go to core on Wednesday and it was like, oh my gosh, this is the best Bible study I've ever done. Or worship is the greatest worship I've ever experienced. Uh, the reason I stuck around was because of the people. Because the people were genuine. The people loved me. The people loved Jesus. And they actually cared about my relationship with Jesus. And so one of the, my favorite things about working in college ministry is not only seeing new faces every year, but getting to pour back into you what so many poured into me, which was creating a genuine community of people who want to follow Jesus. So I, I, can't, I will plug Fall Retreat again. This Fall Retreat is incredible. It's just an awesome opportunity uh, for community. Um, if you have the opportunity, please go to Fall Retreat. I promise you will not regret it. Hey, that's one story about me. Can I tell you a second story? It's more funny. Okay, uh, I said earlier, I've been married to my wife. We've been married for, we're going into our sixth year of marriage now, which is awesome. And we have a very specific nighttime routine in order to go to sleep. Okay, I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, okay? Because for my wife, it's very, very, very important that we are as safe as possible before we go to sleep. So we've had a routine that I've got nailed down. I got it down because it's been like five years. I got it down, okay? And this is what it starts with. So when I realize it's time for bed, I go, okay, I got to do the routine. So I make sure Bo, our dog, is in his kennel. That's the first thing I do, okay? I make sure the dog, he's gone to the bathroom, he's got enough food, he's got enough water. I double bolt that kennel because I know the interview is coming later. So I boom, boom, double that. Then I got to go to the stove. I got to make sure every single burner is off, everyone. So I off, 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 off. Make sure the oven is off, off. Okay, check. Okay, got it. We only have two doors. Got to make sure both doors are locked, every bolt. Lock, lock. Got to make sure the windows are locked. Lock, lock. Go upstairs. Interview begins. Hey, from Meredith, how are the windows? Hey, they're locked. How about that kennel? Both, both are bolted. 
Does he have enough water? He has enough water. How about the oven? Meredith, I've done this for five years. The oven is off. Okay. How about the baby? Is she okay? Baby's okay. I have learned that in order for me to go to sleep at a normal hour, <laughs> my wife needs to know that she is safe from a potential burning down house, potential burglars, potential puppies escaping their kennel, and potential children from choking on their blanket over them or their uh, whatever she's wearing at night. I have learned that these things need to happen in order for me to fall asleep. Do you guys know uh, that on a fundamental level, all of us desire security and safety in our lives? Uh, another way of saying it is we desire contentment. Uh, for us, like I said, for my wife, it's very important. We are physically secure. We are safe, as demonstrated by our routine. Uh, maybe for you, there's a desire for personal security in who you are. Like, what gives me purpose? What gives my life meaning? Maybe it's finding a community where you find genuine friendships. It's important to have security in relationships. Maybe it's important for you to have security in a romantic relationship. That's why I love marriage. It was the closest commitment, like the, the most, the strongest commitment I could ever have to my wife. You'll realize something. That once you graduate, you'll start to realize all the financial pressure that starts coming at you when you start making money. Uh, it, it just comes, and it comes intensely. And you realize, like, wait, all these ads about, like, finances, investment, they're actually targeting me now because I'm old, and I'm, like, making money. It's not about my parents anymore. It's actually for me. And then we start freaking out. Do we have enough resources to retire? Do we have enough? Do we have enough? We desire security. Taylor said something week two about Jesus that stuck, stud, uh, stuck with me and maybe it stuck with you. He said that Jesus knows the full human experience. He, uh, he brought us to Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 15 that says these things. Hebrews 4 starting in 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. The Apostle Paul would go even further in the book of Colossians chapter 1 when he writes about Jesus, and he says this. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only does Scripture say that Jesus knows the full human experience, I mean, he literally lived 30-plus years as a human, but he's intimately been involved in our creation, a.k.a. he knows you, and he understands us. He understands our desire for security and contentment. So with that in mind, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, uh, Bible pastors, you can come on up right now. Uh, if you don't have a Bible tonight and you'd like to have a Bible, I highly encourage having one. Please raise your hand. We'd love to get one to you. If you don't have a Bible with you in Ellensburg, please keep it. Uh, we don't need it back. We'd love to bless you. Um, it is yours to keep. As you're turning to the book of Matthew, I'd love to just remind you where we are uh, in our series. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and it's written by Matthew, who was a Jewish tax collector until Jesus called him to follow him and to be a disciple. And Matthew is writing this book to a primarily Jewish audience. It's very, very important that we understand this. Matthew is Jewish, and he's writing to a Jewish audience. He isn't writing to an American audience in the 21st century. 
Meredith taught us last week about how in Matthew 6, Jesus is basically preaching his inaugural, inaugural sermon as the king of Israel. And he's teaching about his kingdom and his kingdom values. Before we jump in, I'd just love to pray for our night tonight. God, I just pray that you would uh, speak to us through Matthew and what Matthew's written about uh, you, Jesus. Lord, I'd be remiss not to pray about what is going on in Israel right now, Lord. Um, God, we just pray for peace. We pray for justice. God, we pray for hope. God, we pray for security when there, there feels like there's no way for security. God, that it feels like there's no way for contentment right now. And God, as we're about to, to see that you are a God who can provide security and contentment in every single situation. God, I pray for those that don't have hope, those that are longing for someone to love them and something more, God. I just pray that you would meet them where they are, and I pray that you would meet us where we are tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 16. You with me? Okay, here we go. Matthew chapter 6, starting in 16. He says this. He says, when you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What? What you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear, is life not more than food and body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Sorry, birds. Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans, non-Jews, Run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Uh, You're going to hear us a lot say this, but there's a lot to unpack here. Just I I encourage you, in your alone times with God, continue reading Matthew because there's just so much to unpack here. Obviously, I can't get through everything tonight. Uh, But there's a a couple things that I want to kind of recap and and share a little bit about. And the first is what Jesus says in the very beginning. He he calls out the religious leaders for fasting so that everybody knows. You, You see that? He says, don't fast so that everybody else can see you. 
So if you're unfamiliar with, with what fasting is, it, it was really a religious practice, um, it still is, of denying ourselves multiple meals or denying ourselves food for a season and praying instead. It's really an act of worship saying, you know, I can go without a couple meals, but God, I cannot go without you. It's kind of a beautiful, beautiful act of worship, right? But Jesus is, is actually calling out the religious leaders of the time saying, you, you're doing this to put on a show. They, they actually do it with a completely wrong heart posture. They were, they were fasting, and they were making it really clear that they were fasting so that others could see how spiritual they were. And Jesus calls them out and is like, this is not how it's supposed to be. Now, can we all just humble ourselves a little bit and say, how many times have we, like, put ourselves out there to make ourselves look a lot better than maybe we are at something? <laughs> like, come on. How many times have we, like, posted something? It's like, look how athletic I am. Like, went on this hike. Sweat in. I did it. And I'm like, I was miserable the whole time. Like, <laughs> but I post this photo of like, yo, like this was me. I was thriving. No, you weren't thriving. You hated it. Uh, I've come across this thing with my, so my brother, I got a photo of my brother. His name's Dakota. I think we've got a slide. Um, my brother came and visited and met Emma for the first time. Okay, this is my brother. Um, and, and the funny thing is, this is his profile photo in all of his social media accounts. <laughs> it has literally been like nonstop for four months. This is his photo forever him holding my baby but what you don't see is the three hours before this where i'm like hey you want to meet emma and he's like eh, i don't know i might drop her <laughs> dude you want to meet her ah, all right an hour later hey man you want to meet her ah, i don't really know until finally he's like hey do you have a phone yeah all right i'll hold her <laughs> and he posts this <laughs> i told him like bro i'm putting you on blast tonight i'm sorry buddy like he, buddy, I love you. Dakota, he, he is probably going to listen to this. Dakota, I love you. <laughs> I'm going to humble myself because I did the exact same thing like six years ago with Tony and Melissa's baby. <laughs> <laughs> this is not only to prove I did have hair, <laughs> but that I've done the exact same thing. I'm just going to humble myself. <laughs> Jesus calls out this desire to make ourselves look more than we are. He specifically calls out the religious leaders and says, you're completely missing the heart of what fasting is. He would continue to say, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, a.k.a. he's saying in my kingdom, we live for things that are eternal versus the things that are material. And he summarizes by saying something that's kind of hard to hear. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And he's pressing into who's really God. Is it your desire for money and for power for self-gain, or is it really for God? He continues by saying, do not be anxious about your basic human needs. That one's hard to hear. He says, kingdom people trust God to provide what they need. Even if it doesn't look like what we think we need, we're called to contentment. Whether it's contentment with money, contentment with our possessions, contentment with our relationship status, God calls us to contentment because he says that he knows what we truly need. We have to trust him. Remember what I said earlier, Jesus understands his audience. Not only is he walk the walk, he's talking the talk. He understands his audience. So in other words, Jesus understands our need for security. He understands this. And you know why he understands it? It's because he created you to find it in him. He created you to find true security in him and in his kingdom teaching. So when he wraps up his sermon and he, he nails the hammer, 
He nails the hammer down and he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be given to you. What's he saying? He's saying that his kingdom people need to find true security in God's wisdom versus their own. He's inviting his kingdom people to find true security in God's wisdom versus their own. If you were with us week one, we talked about how the Old Testament points to the New Testament, and I did my best to summarize the entire Old Testament. That was, whew, that was a lot. Uh, but we talked about how in Genesis 1 and 2, we see the very beginning of the story, the biblical story, that humans are created in the very image of God and were created to reign and rule the planet in God's very image. Pretty awesome identity statement. But it's, it's also commanded that we rule and reign under God's authority and God's wisdom. And so in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve decided to take the fruit that was commanded not to eat, instead of it just being a simple act of disobedience, it was really Adam and Eve saying, we'd rather be our own gods. We'd rather trust our own finite wisdom instead of God's infinite wisdom. And we want to take our life into our own hands. That's what the biblical author is teaching in Genesis. And we see the repercussions of this choice to trust in human wisdom versus God's wisdom because the after effect of this and the repercussion is that humans are now in conflict with God. Humans are in conflict with the very earth they were called to rule and reign over. And humans are in conflict with one another. Matthew 6 parallels the same teaching from Genesis 3. Where will humans find their wisdom? Will humans trust in their own finite wisdom or they, will they trust in God's wisdom? In other words, will we seek security, true security in God's wisdom, or will we seek it in our own? When Jesus teaches and calls out fasting so that others notice, he's literally calling out a false security of public approval. You with me? Why do you think the Pharisees and the religious leaders felt like they needed to do that? They desired a false security of public approval. I need others to see and see how spiritual I am or how great I'm doing. Jesus says that's not actually secure at all. That leads to insecurity. Think about it. If we just kind of follow that thought train, if, if I'm actually seeking true security and public approval, what happens when people don't like me? What happens when you cannot please everyone? You can't please all your friends. You cannot please your spouse all the time. You cannot please your co-workers, can't please your boss all the time. What happens when we can't please everybody? Is there actually security in that? He continues and he presses into storing up our treasures on earth versus treasures in heaven, and he's really pressing into and speaking, is the fruit of our life really in material possessions? Is that, is that really where true security comes from? Can you even control how much money you make? Can you even control how long you're going to have your job for? Can you even control what happens in your investment accounts when the market crashes and you lose thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that you literally cannot control? Is there really security in that? What happens when we die and nothing goes with us? He says, you cannot have two masters, God and money. I want to be really clear. He's not saying money in itself is bad. He's saying the love of money, the pursuit of money, making every decision in life for money. That does not lead to true security. It's false security actually leads to insecurity and discontentment. I can say that from making money for a couple of years. This is true. He says, stop worrying about your basic human needs. He says, stop fearing that you don't have enough. He's, he's really pressing into the fear here that the people were so afraid of where's my next meal going to come from. A lot of us don't worry about that, but we do worry about so many things that we think we need, right? 
am I going to graduate? Am I going to date anybody? Am I going to marry anybody? What, what, what? He presses into these things for us. And he says, these are really just false security. And he calls them out not just to, like, flex his authority. He's not doing it to be like, yes, like, I know way more than you, and I'm just, like, calling out your, like, lack of wisdom. He does it because he loves you, and he loves us. He, he knows that there's only, the only way to true security is in him and in his kingdom teaching. Not only are we tempted to find security outside of Jesus, outside of his wisdom, but we're even tempted to find security at the cost of other human beings. I'm going to say that again. Not only are we tempted to find security outside of Jesus' teaching and, and God's wisdom, we're even tempted to find security at the cost of other people. In order to get what I need and what I, like, whatever, I'm going to get true security. I'm willing to kind of, like, burn other people along the way. In order for me to look really good in my friend group, I'm willing to just slam this other person, make them look terrible in order to make me look really good. Where I'm willing to put down a coworker so that I could get the raise. Where I'm willing to try to compete with my classmates so that I get the job instead of them. And I'll even put them down in order to get there. We can harm other people. Think about it. How common is it for us? I'm like preaching to myself. How common is it for us to think about ourselves first? When a situation arises, how often do I choose the route that best suits my needs and my desires versus someone else? How often do we set aside the needs of others to fulfill our own? I remember for me in college and still, one of my like greatest weaknesses is physical labor for other people. Dan is not here, but I was going to confess to Dan. There was many times I totally did not help him with his house project when I was college, but I did not want to do that. It's like there's some people who it's like, hey, will you help me move? Yeah, I'm there. They like cancel everything. They're here. Jack and I, I love you. Uh, Jack's like helped me move like six times. Um, there's just some people who drop everything to serve others. I am so bad at that. I am so bad at that. When others are like, hey, I need you. Could you like help me? I'm like, I'm a really loser right now. <laughs> no, I don't use my baby for that. Come on. Come on. But for real, though, what is it for you that you just, you just really struggle to sacrifice for others? What is one of the hardest things for you to give up in order to serve somebody else? Maybe it's you refrain from helping classmates or studying classmates. Maybe you avoid being sacrificial at times with your finances. You're like, my gas money is my gas money. Get out of here. Maybe you're quick to remove people from your life because they hurt you. Done with you. You hurt me. Done. Boom. Bye. Don't have grace for you. What's hard for you to be self-sacrificial in? Jesus would have the boldness, right? Meredith taught how at the end of his teaching, the, the crowd was in awe. Their, their minds were blown at the authority that he taught with. Jesus comes in and says, in my kingdom, the way to receive true security is not in self-gain, it's in self-sacrifice. The way to receive true security, true contentment, is in self-sacrifice and not actually in self-gain. He says sacrifice the false security of public approval and embrace potential persecution and shame for following him. 
This is echoing what he says earlier in Matthew 6. He says, blessed are you when people persecute you and say all kinds of evil about you because of me. He says, avoid, he says, sacrifice your need for, like, for false security. Throw that aside. He says, avoid the false security of money and instead live trusting in God to provide for you instead of living for wealth and financial security. He says, the love of money leads to false security. He says, sacrifice your anxious pursuit of physical comfort and safety and be willing instead to lay down everything for the kingdom of God even if it costs your life. That's heavy. Jesus would not only teach these kingdom principles, not only teach these things, but he would live it out in his own life. He would talk the talk and he would walk the walk. What do I mean? Well, Jesus is the perfect example of sacrificing his public image and embracing persecution. Jesus is the perfect example of laying down financial security and instead trusting God to provide everything he needed. Jesus is the perfect example of laying down physical comfort and safety for the kingdom of God. Heck, he would die for us, an innocent death. Barnabas would walk freely, a guilty man, and Jesus would be condemned to death, an innocent man. And would he literally, would he go crazy? No, he would submit to God, even though it would cost his life. Not only is this example of self-sacrifice modeled by Jesus, but it's called to his disciples. It's called to us as well. If we continue reading in the New Testament, we'll see countless disciples of Jesus living self-sacrificially and even seeing their lives end because of that. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example. Maybe you've heard of him. He's credited with writing over half the New Testament, and he was one of the main reasons why the gospel was spread outside of Israel. But did you know what it cost Paul? In order for that to happen, in order to fulfill that calling, he was beaten to death on multiple occasions. The scripture says he was beaten to near death. He was like a lash away multiple times from dying. In order to teach people about the kingdom of God, he would endure that. He was put in prison multiple times without food and water for days on end. He would be shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. That one's the worst for me. I'm like, Lord, don't ask me to get bitten by a snake. I am snakes. He said he would be shipwrecked, bitten by a snake in order to reach a people group that's now primarily Christian today. His life, he would be in constant danger and eventually would be killed for the kingdom of God. Yet he would write in one of his final letters as he's literally in prison and he's literally seeing his death like days away. Everything in him would have known, like, my death is coming. And he's in prison, and he's literally writing to the church in Philippi. And he says these words. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Paul, just like Jesus, found true security and contentment in God's teaching and God's wisdom, and he experienced this in the fruit of his life in the midst of everything that would come in his calling. Can I ask tonight, do you want to experience true security? You probably do. Do you want to experience the true freedom that God offers you? Whether it's in your personal identity, it's in financial security, basic physical needs, 
Jesus teaches that true security is not going to come from a me and mine at all costs. Anybody in the way I fully know, I fully understand, everybody out the way approach. But it's one of living self-sacrificially. It's one of living for God and one of living for others. This is where true security comes. This is a heavy teaching. I'll be really clear. Uh, I also be really clear when I say living self-sacrificially that embracing Jesus' security and teaching doesn't mean we avoid our responsibilities. I want to be very clear. You guys have a calling. Pass your class. Go to class. Come on. Don't miss class. Go to sleep. sleep. Don't sleep in. Go to class. You, have, you literally have a calling in your life to obey God. And it, we can get too far if we're like, because we can live self-sacrificially in everything, but we have to, we actually have to do what God has called us to do in our life. You with me? In Galatians chapter 6, 2 through 5, Paul writes this to the church. He says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself. This is the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Instead, each one should test their own actions so that they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves with someone else. For each one should carry their own load. What's he saying? You have a load in your life. Don't carry other people's loads. <laughs> Don't carry other people's loads where you neglect your own load. Are you with me? You have a personal responsibility to God to do what he's called you to do in life. So I want to ask a question as we kind of come to close tonight. I want to ask, what does it look like and how do we live sacrificially? How do we do that? How do we live sacrificially? I want to acknowledge the real challenge of this teaching. This is a really challenging teaching. Because if we think about it, how much easier would it be for us to live sacrificially, to live for others if everybody else on the planet was doing so for us? How much easier would it be if every single person you came across, every single classmate, every professor, every friend, every coworker, if every single person you came across was living in the same way? How much easier would it be to live sacrificially? It's like the commercial where like one person blesses another, and another, and another, and another. It's like, but that's not the reality of life. We live in the now but not fully yet kingdom of God. You should write this down. We live in the now but not fully yet kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? I mean that the king is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. But that doesn't mean that everyone is abiding by his kingdom teaching. Jesus has defeated death. Jesus is reigning and ruling. But that doesn't mean that everybody is living for his kingdom. That means that so many of our classmates, so many of our roommates, so many coworkers, family, friends, they're not living for King Jesus. They're living for King me. They're not living for the kingdom of God. They're living for the kingdom of me. And this makes it hard to live sacrificially. Yet, Jesus would still call us to live sacrificial for his kingdom. There's two ways that we can embrace this tonight. The first is I want to call us to embrace reflection. I think it's so important in life that we just pause and we reflect, especially when, man, you're in college, busy, 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 busy. It's like I have to be busy in order to be productive. We feel that busyness. But, man, sometimes we can go so fast we just forget to pause and say, man, what has God been teaching me the last couple weeks? Who are, who are like, people who are genuinely invested in me? What, what have I been learning at Kyle? What am I learning in the Bible? What has God been teaching me? I'm just going to pause. I want to ask you to embrace reflection tonight and moving forward. I want to ask you, where do you put trust in your own wisdom versus God's? 
Where do you trust your own wisdom, your own perspective versus God's? Where have you maybe been led to, to find security in something that God teaches against and you've been like, you've realized this actually falls flat on its face? Where have you been led to that? How am I living outside of Jesus' kingdom teaching on self-sacrifice? How am I maybe putting others, like, am I pushing others aside in order to get what I want? I want to ask you to embrace reflection. And after reflecting, I want you to embrace repentance. If you've never heard this before, repentance kind of comes off as a stronger word. Repentance is not just confession. We sometimes think like, oh, confession is repentance. Repentance, the word metanoia, it literally means to change how you think and act. It's literally like taking a flip. It's like a 180 from how I think and how I act. So not only am I going to pause and say, maybe how have I been thinking opposite of Jesus from Jesus? God, I'm going to confess that and I'm going to repent. I'm going to actually take a posture of active obedience and change. We cannot repent without obedience. Repentance takes obedience. I'm going to call you to that. Worship team, you guys can come on up as we officially come to a close. And I wanted to share a story of how God called me to live self-sacrificially in college. It was my senior year, and, uh, and I was in the film program. I was in my final quarter of my senior year. And the class that I, it's a film major, so, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But it was the hardest class that a lot of us had taken, okay? No music major in the room or, you know, you know y'all are smart. I, uh, I know, film majors. But anyways, it, it was a pretty hard class. And, and literally, like, our professor was known as being a really hard grader. And it was like people, like, I remember we were talking, people were struggling to, like, get B minuses. And it was like, man. And, and I was doing really well. I think I had, like, an A at the time. I was feeling great about my grade. I was like, my GPA is killing it. And I got one more project. And it was, like, the hardest project. It had the most influence over our grade. And there was an option that we could work with somebody else in class. And so me, I started planning. I'm like, nah, I don't need anybody else. I'm going to work on my own. I, I do things better on my own. And I had one of my fellow classmates come and approach me. Now, God bless him. He was not known for being the most, like, he didn't work the hardest. And uh, wasn't really known as, like, coming up with, like, the best projects, okay? Again, loved him. This is true. And he came up to me, and he goes, Brandon, I don't know how to ask this, but uh, – can I please work on the project with you? Like, I kind of need to pass this in order to graduate. Like, I, I literally have to get a good grade. I have to get, like, a B or better in order to graduate. Can I kind of, like, work with you here? What do you think was the first thing that went through my head? No. Heck no. Like, I've been grinding. I've been working really hard. I've been, like, studying. I've been diligent. I'm not going to, like, let somebody else, like, ruin what I've worked hard for. So I kind of gave them the, yeah, maybe, you know, uh, yeah, I really need to think about that. Um, I'll talk to you soon. You know, and I kind of like left. Basically told him, like, kind of ghosted him, said no. And I, I'm not kidding you. I opened the door of my department. It was in Bouillon. And I probably took three steps. Holy Spirit is like, hmm, interesting that, uh, that you're going to say no to somebody in need. And uh, what, do you, what do you think I would have you do? He didn't even finish the thought. I was like repenting. This is repentance. I was literally walking away. And I come up to my buddy. I'm like, hey, I would love to work with you. I'd love to work with you. So we did the project. We worked on it. And I'll never forget the call I got from him after the grades were posted. He calls me, Brandon, you got a 99%, man. Thank you so much. I'm graduating. I'm like, yeah, dude, I got you. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. That's awesome. And, and the, the story's funny because we got a 99%, which is great. But, but honestly, guys, the, the, it was the most fulfilling thing ever 
was just getting that call from somebody in, in literally in need to graduate and saying, I graduated. Thank you so much for blessing me. And, and honestly, like, if we went on 99%, 79%, I don't care. The joy that came from not only putting my need for security in something that is false, and my GPA gives me, you know, security. Not only did Jesus teach me about that, but he also taught me about self-sacrifice. And guys, there, there were literally, like, he didn't, like, come to Jesus or anything. I don't even know if he knew. I, he probably, yeah, he knew I followed Jesus. But I want to call you to live in the same way in your major, with your roommates, with your friends. What would it look like for you to live self-sacrificially? This is the way of the kingdom of God. This is what God's people do. We live sacrificially. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into worship now. Jesus, I thank you that not only is your teaching challenging, but it is true. Lord, that I can say after so many years of following you, the truest thing is, is God literally putting into practice, repenting in my own life and seeing, oh, my gosh, this is actually true. There are false securities that I've put my hope in, I've put my time into, and they always lead to insecurity and discontentment eventually. God, I thank you that you teach us hard things, but you love us enough to say the hard things. Jesus, that you love us enough to consider, to reflect, and to repent. God, I just pray that you specifically speak to all of us tonight. What are you saying? Pray that we'd embrace a posture of reflection tonight and repentance. God, I just know that your spirit is moving individually in all of us. God, I pray that we would be a community known of self-sacrifice. We be people who love one another. We see the needs of our neighbor. God, and we love our neighbor, and we live sacrificially, and we experience the freedom that comes with that. I thank you for your teaching, Jesus. We pray this all in your name. Amen.